today I want to welcome every one of you in the house of the Lord as we finish off the series we've been talking about oneness, God's call to oneness. Um, all the ones who are visiting with us for the very first time, I will welcome you in, a, in, in the KICC way at the very end. And also it's good to see some of you we haven't seen for a while. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for coming back to church. It's never the same without you. Uh, and also, hold me accountable to this. Um, we want to pray for someone uh, whose birthday it is today, but it will be at the very end. Uh, Holy Communion also will be at the very end. And we purposefully, I've purposefully done that because I'd like us to understand from the topic today, um, the place of Holy Communion and what we're going to speak about. So today, uh, we are going to talk about the fact that there can be only one in your life. Amen? One God. I'm talking about one God. There can be only one. We have seen in the past few weeks that there is a clear call to oneness in Scripture. We started off with how Jesus wants us to be one with God and the Father, God the Father, just like he is with God the Father. He wants us to be one with God the Father. He also, we also saw that he has called us to be one with each other, that we move together, that we are one in Christ. Amen. After all, it is the one Jesus Christ that we received in our lives. After all, it is the same Holy Spirit that has been given to each and everyone. It is the same baptism. Amen. It is the same heaven that we are looking forward to. The heaven that is in Revelation chapter 21 onwards. Any other heaven that is described apart from that one, that's not the one we are going to. Amen. But God is one. Hallelujah. So, then last week I remember that we zeroed in on the call of us to be one in our marriages. For those of us who are married, just as he is one with God. Just as Jesus Christ is, is not one with God, one with the church. And we saw that he wants our marriages to glorify him because his image is in marriage. Amen? Genesis 1 verse 26 and 27, if you remember that. Uh, that in making man male and female, God really what he wanted was that his image should be displayed through that union. And that union is the very basis of a society. The breakdown of marriage leads to a breakdown of society. A strong marriage will lead to a strong society. Amen? Um, we also need to have oneness in our marriages because God is looking for us to raise godly children. And we did say that it does not make sense just to have children whom we are going to let go to hell. It doesn't make sense. God wants godly parents to raise godly children. And the parents should be one in marriage. If you are a single parent, it is still possible to raise godly children. Amen. With the support of the church, it is even much more possible for you to raise godly children, even though you are a single parent. And I did say that you are looking at an example right here. By all accounts and purposes, I shouldn't be serving God. But even though she had failed, my mother made sure she made sure that I was still 
pursuing God. Amen? So, we are set to succeed no matter what happens to us. Hallelujah. And then we also saw that we need to be one in our marriages because companionship is the, one, the other purpose that God established marriage. It, it's just two are better than one. Uh, the, the, the efforts of two people are better than the efforts of one person. One person still gets to chase a thousand, but it's better when there are two of you and everything goes exponential from there because you're chasing 10,000. So today I want us to look at why there can only be or there should only be one God in our lives and why. Well, recently, in the recent years, recent history, we, we have developed a, a, a thinking, a, a mindset that looks at multiples. So when something comes up, we want to look at multiple options. What are the options before us? How many other ways can we, can we take to get to where we want to go or to solve problem X? That's, that's just the way we think. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but it is a mindset that keeps coming back to us as something that is necessary. We are looking at alternatives. What do we do? Do we promote vaccines or lockdown or, you know, we, we look at different options of the, of, of the problem at hand. Uh, there are all these options that we're bombarded with every day. That's, that's the way the world has just come to. And we find that this helps us to get things done better. Uh, when something comes up and a group of people begin to look at that thing and say, okay, we need, for example, let's say, uh, to solve the problem. Problem X. Um, you get a group of people together. Usually what you do is you brainstorm. What is happening? What can we do? What are our options? And you, 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 you come up with several options and then you begin to analyze uh, the different options that are before you and you, you're asking the question, which is the best option for us to take to effectively deal with this problem? Hopefully for good. Hopefully. Because it does not help us to, to, to solve a problem on a temporary basis. I remember just last week, there was uh, the bridge that was washed off in, in Karonga, and uh, s tragically, some people died because you know, they didn't see that the bridge was out, and they drove right into it, and so on and so forth. And uh, people have been asking, okay, whose fault was this? What happened? And all these things. And the, the, the authorities responsible have come up with a temporary measure to keep traffic going. But the question still remains, how best can we solve this problem so that it does not happen again? And I'm sure that they are, they, they are looking at whatever it is that they look into to make sure that they come up with a bridge that is solid, that can withstand the weather, like um, maybe even more than what... what, what happen that time. So that when they solve this problem, we will not be thinking about it again. It's a good way of doing things. Amen? If you have, for instance, cobwebs in your home, somewhere in the ceiling, there's a, there's a cobweb. You've got several options. You can simply go buy one of those brooms, the long ones, and you go there and you remove the cobwebs. You're, that's an option, right? Or you could remove that cobweb and go for the spider who put it there because you don't want it to come back. If you have an anthill 
coming up. You can just dig it up and flatten the place and you'll be good. But it will come up again. So the other option is you go for the queen of the ants. Because you know she's the one who's producing the ants. And you deal with her, you'll have gotten rid of the problem permanently. Amen? Somebody sang. I remember there was a song back in the day. They said, what we need to do here. You remember that song? Yeah, let's find the queen ant. We deal with that one. She'll stop producing all the ants that are doing or building all these anthills. So we, we are... We are a people, we're living in a world where we're looking for options. We're looking for ways to permanently deal with things. And that is okay. That is really okay. Here's the problem though. We have taken that kind of thinking and we have brought it over to spiritual issues. It doesn't work that way. Amen? And we're going to see from scripture why. It is not going to work. And why the Lord will not have us look into other options. When we look at scripture in the book of Revelation chapter 3. Let's turn there. Revelation chapter 3 from, the, from verse uh, 14. This is the, the last letter that Jesus Christ writes to the seven churches. Where he points out the things that the churches are doing well. And the things that they need to work on. And he also encourages them. It's a very interesting way of, of rebuking somebody. Because Jesus kind of sandwiches the rebuke right in the middle. It's, it's a great way, by the way, of showing somebody what they're wrong. You start by, uh, you put them on the pedestal. You, you tell them what the good things they are doing. You point out what they are not doing right and that they need to work on. And then you motivate them with sub, a reward at the end. So we find Jesus Christ writing that, the, 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 the final letter to, to the church in Laodicea. And uh, he says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? says, these are the words of the Amen and the faithful and true witness. The ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. That you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. Did you see that? Hmm. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And serve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with him. He with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So, Jesus tells them that, I know your deeds. I know what you do. And it's, 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 it's commendable. 
But your deeds are neither hot nor cold. Lukewarm. Now, lukewarm, we'll just take a couple of notes there, but there there are some words, hot or cold, lukewarm. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What is lukewarmness? When you say this is lukewarm, what, what is lukewarmness? If someone gives you lukewarm coffee, how likely are you to drink it? Hmm? To be lukewarm is to be moderately warm. You are not... People can't tell. What's the deal with you? People can't tell. Because you seem to look like this, but you also seem to look like the other. If I come to your home and I tell you that I like herbal tea, and you give me herbal tea with lukewarm water, this is how you know that pastor doesn't like things that are lukewarm. I will not drink much of it. It may be just out of uh, courtesy <laughs> that you have served me something. But I want my tea not too hot, but hot enough for me to enjoy. Not to burn my tongue, not that kind of hot, but just okay. Amen? When something is lukewarm, it is, um, it's sitting on the fence. Not decided. So people cannot tell where you really stand. And Jesus says, I, I, I can't, you, you need to make a decision. Are you with me or not with me? It's, it's very interesting. I remember um, read, uh, I put this in my notes so that I wouldn't forget. Being on a fence does not make sense. That's what Dr. David Jeremiah said. He said, it is painful to sit on the fence. Have you ever sat on a fence? Have you? When we were young, in, in the city that I grew up in, we used to love watching football. And one of the big, two of the big teams back in those days, it was uh, Big Bullets, it was called another name there, and Moyari Barracks. Uh, not Moyari Barracks, they want the other one from Zomba, the army team. Kobe Barracks. And so they would go to Zomba Community Hall, uh, Zomba Community Ground. And that, that fence had, it was so high. And uh, because we knew we couldn't ask for money from, my, from our parents to go to the football, we, we, we had tried a few things to watch free matches. Okay? This was me before Christ, so just keep that in mind. We climbed blue gum trees in Zomba. If you know that, those of you who have gone to that to Zomba, we climbed blue gum trees away from the stadium, but we watched the free match. But we discovered it was very, very, very dangerous because blue gum is not a very nice tree to climb. Okay? We tried to get to climb the wall it didn't work because they had these security guards who were ruthless. Okay? Uh, but the, the few times that we managed to climb the wall, you had to sit on that wall comfortably and the guys who made that wall knew something about people like us. So they made the top of the wall very, very rough. But you had to sit in such a way that you are watching the game and you are on the lookout for the guards. So you are sitting on the fence. It's, it's not comfortable, I can tell you. It's not. But somehow, when it comes to things of the spirit, we want to sit on the fence. And Jesus knows that's not the best place for you to be. 
So he says, I want you to decide. Are you hot or are you cold? Make up your mind. Amen? When it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ, there's no such thing as I'm sitting on the fence. There's nowhere to sit on the fence as far as Jesus is concerned. Sitting on the fence is not an option. You are either hot or cold. You can't be in the gray area. Ah, I had to break it to you, but Jesus sees in black and white when it comes to this issue. There is no gray. Not even 50 shades of gray. I've just hit at something there. There are no 50 shades. There is black or white. You are hot or cold. You are either with me or you are against me. You are either gathering with me or you are scattering. So, what Jesus has done is draw his line in the sand and say, I'm on this side. You need to tell me whether you're with me or you're not. Because I've got an agenda here to accomplish. Remember, where he wants to be is where he wants his people to be. And you cannot be in that place if you are undecided on whether you should be here or here. Or here or here. He says, I want you to decide. So, Here's the interesting thing that I noticed from this passage of scripture that we've read. Either you are with Jesus or you're not. As far as he's concerned, you are not going to be his pleasure and he's giving you a chance to decide. He says, when I drink something that is lukewarm, he pulls, pulls back and he says, are you hot or cold? You need to decide because what I do with lukewarm people is I spit them out of my mouth. Now you can go all theological about what that means, but all I know is it's not nice to be spit out of God's mouth. If we are supposed to give God pleasure by being one with him, and he wants to spit you out, that's not a nice place to be. Amen? Reminds me of John chapter 5, chapter 15, from verse 1 to 5, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If, if you are a branch that doesn't want to stay connected to the vine, Jesus says this vine, this branch is only good to be thrown away into the fire because it withers. It's good to be thrown away into the fire and it's only good for firewood. Maybe after that we'll use the ashes to brush our teeth in the village. That's what we do or wash our pots with or something. Then after that the ash is done. So, the grace of the Lord still shows up even when we mess up because he gives us time. He says, I want you to decide. The amazing thing is that even though we end the wrong, he chooses to continue to show us his grace. And that's one of the amazing things with God. Because had it not been for the grace of God, if God would treat us the way he treated the people in the Old Testament, many of us would not be here. It would have either been Korah going down in the earth or poisonous snakes or whatnot. But God continues to be merciful with us, continues to be graceful with us so that we, we have time to, to work on things and to be okay with him. Because by the end of the day, all this is because he wants us to be with him where he is. And there are certain things he will not tolerate where he is taking us to. Hallelujah. 
So he chooses to show us his love. He chooses to rebuke us so that we make it right before he takes the final action. When you look at verse 19 of Revelation chapter 3, the Lord says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. It is wise to receive rebuke and discipline from the Lord because it is also a show of his love. Amen? There is such a thing as tough love where you are not babied. I told you last week about the story of that boy who was throwing a tantrum because his mom did not buy him the toy he wanted from ShopRite. And I've always remembered that mother because she was so resolute. She made it clear that she was not going to tolerate a tantrum, this tantrum. And she rebuked him indirectly by simply saying, are you coming or not? In other words, I'm ignoring your tantrum. It's not going to work. If we continue tolerating tantrums, we grow up with them. Have you seen adults that throw tantrums? If you've been to yesterday's uh, training and the week before, we'll talk about that being shallow. You're just shallow. Oh, I've been praying to the Lord for this and he hasn't given me, so I've given up going to church. Shallow. Someone comes to you and says, look, the way you are living here or the way you are doing things here, you need to change. The Lord would have you go this way. This is not our church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're being shallow. You're throwing a tantrum. And you are not open to the rebuke and the discipline of the Lord. (laughs) You're not being open to the rebuke and the discipline of the Lord. And when you grow that way, people say, whose child is this? Have you ever heard that question? Something, a child does something and people say, whose child is this? Because they were expecting a certain kind of character from you. Which, by refusing the rebuke and the discipline of the Lord, you denied. But I want you to know that when God rebukes you, when God disciplines you, it is also a sign of his love. Amen? So, he continues to rebuke. It's an ongoing thing. Where there's need for rebuke, rebuke comes. Where there's need for discipline, discipline comes. What we need to do is to accept it and work with the Lord. Because if you've learned anything from the children of Israel, is that God does not mind repeating the same class for 40 years until you get it. God will never take you to grade 3 if you don't want to learn the lessons for grade, uh, for grade 2. He will keep you there. And others who are willing to learn, who came two weeks ago, will pass by. They will leave you there and they will go. Hallelujah. So let's have a desire to be able to come before the Lord and avail ourselves and say, Lord, we are giving ourselves away as we were singing.
use me. Well, being used of the Lord means also that the Lord will work on the things that need to be worked on. Things that need to be changed. Things that need to be put right. And if you're not open to that, you are denying the love of God in your life. Hallelujah. Sometimes God will use a message like this. Sometimes you're talking with somebody and they point out something. And God uses different ways. But according to Revelation chapter 3 verse 19, the ones that God loves, he will rebuke and he will discipline. He will chasten. He will correct. And the amazing thing with God is that he never rebukes what he's not taught you. Amen? Yeah. You don't rebuke what you haven't taught. So if I come to you and I say, you know, we've been saying that praying together is um, something that the Lord would have us do. There are these benefits. And you're not doing that, I'll rebuke you. So what's wrong with you? You don't come for prayer. We need to work on that. Amen? Now, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus, uh, when you look at the, all the seven letters, when Jesus Christ corrects and rebukes and he says you need to work on this, he does not give a time frame. Nobody knows when this offer will expire. Because, you know, the nature of human beings is that, I, I don't know about you, but we, we, we grew up naughty at some point. So in, in secondary school, we had prep time. And we knew that the teacher on duty would come in class, checking on you if you're really studying, at certain times. So before that time, you were doing something else. And when you heard he has come in the next class, you open your notes to somewhere, just to give, make it look like you are studying. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Ah, the rest of you are liars. <laughs> but we knew the time they were going to come. We knew the time when they were going to come to the hostels and check on us. We knew. And just before they came, we, make it, we made it look like everything is okay. We've been doing what we expected to do. If there was somebody who was not where they were supposed to be, we would cover up. No, I think he's just gone to the, to, to the loo. He'll be back soon. I think he had problems with his stomach. So. so we make the teacher not wait. But there were other teachers. They would go there and they would knock door after door, checking, where is this sick one? And got us in trouble one, one or two times. But what Jesus does is he doesn't tell us when he's going to come. He doesn't tell us when this offer is going to expire. Because he wants us to be on the ready. When you choose whether you are hot or cold, just decide to stay there. I have a friend, a family friend, she always used to tell us, my wife and I, she said, you know, um, Jesus has made a, such a big difference in my life. Actually, she turns 60 this year. She says, Jesus has made such a big difference in my life, such that I have decided, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I will follow him wholeheartedly. If I am going to fall back and stop following Jesus, I will do that wholeheartedly. I have no time to be in the fence and confuse people. That's what she said. And it was like a joke, but now I understand. 
to say before the Lord, he expects us to choose which way we are going to go. When thing, it comes to things of the spirit, we need to make a decision to have only one God because there can be only one. Hallelujah. And our God is faithful. Anyone who has dared to trust God has proven him to be faithful. Anyone who has dared to trust God has proven him to be faithful. Did you know that God even goes into the camp of, the, of your enemies for your sake? I was reading Numbers 22 this week. In Numbers 22, Moses and the Israelites are minding their own business, going through Canaan, going to where God said they were going to go. And this king called Balaam sees this multitude and he is scared. We know that he is scared because the way, of, the way he describes them. He says, a vast people have come. They, they are covering the entire earth, which was not true. You just know they are now exaggerating. When you have fear, you exaggerate things. When you have fear, you begin to say, we saw the descendants of Anak. And in their eyes, what were you doing in their eyes? But in their eyes, we looked like grasshoppers. That's what fear does. And so he, he begins to devise ways of getting rid of the children of Israel. By the way, they were just passing by. He was not part of the agenda. They were passing by. But he's swigged with fear and he hires Balak, a pagan prophet, who does his, his business for a fee. It was very interesting because in Numbers 22, we are actually told that when Balak sent for his princes to, to, to get to Balak, uh, Balaam sent his princes to go to Balak, he sent them with a diviner's fee, a prophet's fee. Did you hear that? And so he says, a people has arisen from Egypt and he has heard of their exploits and he says, I want you to come and curse them. Somehow he's even as scared to go into battle with them. He says, the only way we can work is to curse them. And so Balak, you know, the prophet, uh, he, he's about to go and God says, you're not going to go with him. And God is speaking to a pagan prophet. He says, you're not going to go with him. And then, he's, then um, Balaam sends more princes, much more senior than the first ones. Go back to Balak and tell him I want. And so because um, Balaam is, Balak is, 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 is really hungry for money, he accepts it. He gets the diviner's fee. And he says, I'll come. But God tells him, all right, you go, but you only tell them what I'll tell you. All right? But on the way, we find that somehow Balak seems to have been thinking something else. And God decides, uh-uh, I better deal with this guy. And then you have this whole story of a donkey speaking to him. And interestingly, even though a donkey is speaking, Balak does not see it unusual for a donkey to talk to him. He is so self-focused that he, he is concerned with how the donkey hurt his foot and, and made him look bad in front of all these princes. But dude, the donkey is talking to you. It shouldn't be doing that. It's a donkey. But that's how far you can fall from God. That even the unusual things God is doing, you miss them. And at that point, God opens the eyes of Balak to see the angel that was standing there 
ready to kill him. And the whole story goes on and on. But you, you, you begin to see that for the sake of the children of Israel, God goes behind the scenes in the camp of the enemy and begins to orchestrate things. In the end, the pagan prophet gives one of the most powerful prophecies about the children of Israel. You read it in, in, in Numbers 22. When I read that, I was, oh God, God is faithful. Amen. This is the God who has gone in the camp of the enemies, made them hear a noise, and the enemies kill each other off. That all the Israelites do is come on the battlefield and pick up the spoils of war. Hallelujah. Because God is committed to being faithful to the ones he has made a covenant with. How much more you and I who have made the new covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. God is faithful. So why does Jesus make such a demand of you and me? Why does he make such a demand? Well, let's look at a couple of scriptures. First of all, we're going to look at John chapter 3 verse 16. Very, very popular verse. John chapter 3 verse 16. The Bible tells us in this very famous verse that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life. I want to ask you, who else loves you and I so much that he paid the ultimate price of dying on the cross to ensure your eternity with God? Who else? Who else? Nobody. You go down in history, you will not find anyone who went to God and said, I will go. I will pay this price. For the simple reason that I want to deal with the power of sin and enable people who put their trust in you, people who believe in you, to come into your presence for eternity. Hallelujah. So he makes that demand because, don't you know, when, when you put your trust in Christ Jesus, your life is not your own. You are now owned by God. Like somebody keeps, they had a group, it's what is called God's property. God owns you because he paid the price. He's saying these are my people. And because they are my people, I demand 100% no less from them. A brother Hezekiah Walker sang a, hill, sang a song. He said, Lord, I'm running, trying to make 100 because 99 and a half will not do. Jesus will not settle for anything less than 100%. It's 100% plus. You, you believe in Jesus Christ you better give him a hundred percent plus. I've given you the, 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 the example before. Saying, if I go to my wife, whom I declare that I love, and I tell her that I love you 90%. Maybe we should do that again. <laughs> I love you 90%. Your response? Where is the other 10? You would say the same. Where is the other 10? 
If I love you 90%, where's the other 10? Why are you holding up back the other 10? For the for the kids. <laughs> oh, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's just the nature of love not to expect anything less. You say you love me, you better love me a hundred percent. Full stop. Hundred percent plus. Interestingly, you love your wife a hundred percent. There's a lot more love left for the children. I don't love multiplies. So no, I'll come fifty percent. Pastor, I have to come fifty percent, and she has to come fifty percent. It doesn't work. It doesn't. Because you're asking, where does the other 50 go? Where does the other 35 go? Oh, I love music, so I think the other 35 goes to music. Uh Uh-uh. You love 100%. What if Jesus only loved 90%? Where does that put us? It puts us in a situation where Jesus could have said, Lord, I've come this far. This is the garden of Gethsemane. Where I'm going, it is painful. I've already lived 33 years. From this point on, we need to think of plan B. I can't go to the cross. But he did 100%. And because he did 100%, he paid, he redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness. He requires that we love him wholeheartedly. What is the greatest commandment say? That we should love the Lord our God with all our and all our and all our <laughs> wholeheartedly. All our means you're leaving nothing back. You're not holding back anything. Do you, Sunganani, take Naomi to be your lawfully wedded wife I agree for only 90% it will not work it will not work it has to be 100% John chapter 14 verse 6 it's another famous scripture because Jesus Christ is, is, is talking with his disciples about where he's going He makes this statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one has loved us so much as to give us access to God the Father, as Jesus has done. So spiritually, when you ask people, are you going to heaven? Or similar questions. People say, "Uh, we'll know when we get there. Now all roads lead to Rome. And Jesus comes up and says, no. No one will call to the Father except through me. There's only one way. Here, there are no options. If the intention is to get to know God, if the intention is for you to be in heaven with God forever, then Jesus is the only way. Amen? So, either he was saying the truth or he was not. You decide. There's no fence here. If you want to get to know God, you've got to make a decision. Either to go through Christ or to keep wandering through the different other ways that are there. 
And there are different ways. They will tell you if you do this and if you do that, uh, in the next life you come back as a lion or if you are not a, an ant and things like that. Or we have to become one consciousness and things like this. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Only through me if you want to get to the Father. Someone who speaks like that either knows what they're talking about or they don't. And I challenge you to investigate whether Jesus knew what he was talking about. Amen? In the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 12, the Bible says, salvation is found in no one else for there's no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In all his wisdom, God made sure that there's no other name under heaven by which people should be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. There is only one. Hallelujah. There is only one. There's only one. Whatever it is you are, you are trying to deal with in life, I want you to understand there's only one Jesus. There's only one Jesus. There's only one Jesus. And through Jesus is where we get to know God the Father. Through Jesus is where we get to know, to have hope that our eternity is, is okay with God. Through Jesus Christ is where we get to know that life is indeed abundant. John chapter, chapter 10 verse 10, the latter part of it. There's only one. When it comes to spiritual things, there's no middle ground. If, if, if you forget anything, this is what I'm saying today. There's no middle ground. You make a decision and say, I am either hot for Christ or I am not. Now, in the I am not beat, there are so many options. Now, options are not wrong, but in spiritual things, God has made his statement. This is the way. I, I want to challenge you, just this week, just this week, tune into the program Unshackled. In the program Unshackled, you find so many stories of people who try to find God in their own way. They always fall flat on their face and they, they come to Jesus Christ. We did the same thing. We tried this way to get to, Jesus, to God, to this way to get to God. Until we came to Jesus Christ, we realized this is it. This is the deal. Any other way does not work. So even the experiences that we have, even in this room, you will find that Jesus keeps coming up as the only way. The only true way. Hallelujah. Hold on to your seats. I'm going somewhere with this. Here's another question I want to ask you. Who else made sure that you are not left alone as an orphan, but left with a counselor? You tell me a religion where the God of that religion gives their people the spirit of that God for their own good. Most of the spirits in the other religions are not good. 
We know from the scriptures, we know from experience. In the book of John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Hallelujah. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got the spirit of God. Now, the point I'm saying is, why would Jesus demand that you be for him and for him alone? Because he's got his spirit in you. And he did that for a reason. He doesn't want us being lost because the spirit of Jesus Christ will teach us the right ways. Will teach us the right things. The spirit of God will give us guidance. The spirit of God will give us wisdom for different situations in our lives. The Spirit of God will give us the courage, the boldness for us to declare the praises of his name. Amen? Take the Spirit of God from me and I I wouldn't be so bored to speak to you the way I speak. Naturally, I love to keep to myself. Shy. Or used to be shy. I tell that to people and they say, no, you're joking. (laughs) But those of you who have come to our home know that my, my wife actually talks more than I do. I, I'll just sit there and listen. I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'll give a comment here. But I, I'll just, with the people that I'm comfortable with, I'll, I'll be just like that. It took the spirit of God to make this person capable to stand in places like this and speak to you people like you. It's the spirit of God. If you throw me in a, in a hall full of people, I will find a place where I'm sitting down. I can just sit down and maybe look at the program before things start to happen. The people like my wife, the, 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 the stranger is just somebody she's never met. Before long, they have kicked up a conversation and she's telling me, oh, that guy or that lady, this, this. And they will talk like they've known each other forever. But the Spirit of God is helping me to come out and begin to reach out to people, to go out there. It's risky, but I have to trust the Spirit of God knows what he's doing. There's no other God who has given his people the spirit to be able for them to accomplish mighty acts of God. To do things that are helpful to society. Trust me, there are some some spirits. I'll not even go, I'll, I'll stay in Malawi. There are some spirits when they come upon a person and we say, in the south we say Majini. In, in, uh, in, in the north it's Vimbuza and so on. It's a different story. By the time that spirit is done with that person, that person is, a, is, is totally drained. They, they are confused and no one like the spirit of God. He's gentle. He will comfort you when, you are, when, when you're mourning. This, the spirit of God is amazing. And God, Jesus has done that because he doesn't want us to be like orphans. He doesn't want us to be left destitute. So, we cannot have the spirit of God and begin to mix it with something else. What relationship does God have with Belial? Paul asks. What relationship is there between light and darkness? 
Some things you cannot mix and you should not. Hallelujah. Don't for your own good. We have had a proliferation of tribal groupings in Malawi of late. I want to warn you as children of God, be very, very careful what you subscribe to. Because some of those groupings are against what the word of God stands for. I have a friend who belongs to one of such a tribe, who used to belong to one of the such tribal groupings. And I was asking, why did you, why did you join? He was like, oh, it's good. There are all these things, values we are promoting and so on and so forth. After a few years, I asked him, so how is it going in that group? He said, eh, I left. I said, why? He says, eh, some of the things they're asking us to do as a Christian, I feel very uncomfortable in my spirit to continue. So he left. But there are other Christians who are still there, even up to now. What relationship is there between light and darkness? First John chapter 1, verse 9. First John chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Which other God do you know does that? That when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. The one that we have confessed, plus he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Which other God does that? From the scriptures that I've read, I want you to see just a few things. God loves you wholeheartedly. Amen? And God is a jealous God. Amen? God is a jealous God. He loves us so much, he guards us. He's got his eye upon us because he loves us. How does love and jealousy work? Well, they go together. Work with it. Amen? Remember there was a time my, my, my wife used to work at some place and she was telling me about uh, some people who were becoming too familiar with her. I, I felt jealous. And I said, you know, I remember you have a ring, eh? God is a jealous God. He says, it, your affections should only be for me. That's the deal. No room for any other God. That's why idolatry is something that he does not tolerate. Because he knows you will be led on down a wrong path. No, what we'll do is, uh, yes, people, we'll pray, but also we should really think about visiting this Nanga. Uh-uh. Either God or no God. Either Jesus or not. Either you're hot or you're cold. And in today's world, they'll say, no, you are not being open-minded. You are not being tolerant. Listen, there are some things tolerance doesn't work. 
I get amazed that these days words like Jesus, God, Holy are beeped out on TV. Have you noticed? Every time somebody says Jesus, they'll go beep. They have put that on the same level as someone who is cursing. There's something wrong. And then you turn and you say you're not being tolerant. It's something wrong. Someone is trying somewhere really hard to make sure that they take God out of the picture. They already took him out of the school in, in the U.S., most of it. Most of the public schools, God is not there. And when they do that, in, they did that in 1962. They said no public prayer in schools. Guess what happened? The grades began to go down. They had a lot of uh, problems with the, the behavior of, of their students. And there's a movement now trying to get that back. The moment the Supreme Court ruled that abortion is legal, a lot of stuff has happened in that nation. But now there's somebody who is lobbying for an interpretation of that ruling because the science that was available at that time seemed to say that the baby and the mother are one. That uh, it is like a, a mother just removing a part of our body. That's not a, a full baby. But now with what science knows, they are going to challenge that ruling. You need to pray. And make sure that it goes through. There comes a time when you can't be on the fence anymore. In life, there comes a time when you should not be on the fence. That's what Jesus is asking of us. Of us. Can you point to somebody who wholeheartedly loves Jesus Christ, but also wholeheartedly, or at least compromises with another God? Can you? No. Because it just doesn't work. If I love my wife 10, 90%, and I would love somebody, some other woman 10%, trust me, you're going to hear stories. A friend who does law told, told me that in Maula prison, the women's section, most of the issues that are handled there are crimes of passion. You know what crimes of passion are? Crimes of passion are, um, I saw you talking to our neighbor's wife. What were you talking about? I was just saying hello, but you gave her a bag full of vegetables. You have come with nothing here. A fight ensues. Husband is hurt. To a point that the police step in and she goes into prison. That's a crime of passion. A crime of passion is, I found such such messages in his phone. I broke his phone. He beat me. And the nearest thing that was there was a pin in one castle. I hit him and he died. So now she's in prison. Those are crimes of passion. Because there is something that God has given us that is deep-seated that says if you are in a relationship with somebody, it's exclusive. You find it everywhere on the planet. Even, amazingly, even in places where they say polygamy is allowed. There are still some struggles in there. No, I'm the first one. No, I'm the second one. It happens. 
Because the nature of love is that it demands 100% plus. So, there should be only one God. So, what do we do with this? What do we do with the claim that Jesus makes that I should only be the, one, I should only be the, 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 the God in your life? What do we do with the claim, the, the question that Jesus is asking us to say, are you either hot or cold? Because as far as I'm concerned, you continue like this, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And this is love. He, he, told, he goes on to rebuke them about other things. But in the end, all that he's doing is out of love. To say, I don't want to lose you, but you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision to be with me. Because when you make that decision, then I know who I'm working with. Then I know what is due to you in this relationship. But you can't be two-timing Jesus and make sure and hope that everything is going to end well in your life. It won't. Amen? Jesus' quest for oneness with us is absolute. Because it is good for us and he knows it. Amen? So, what do we do with this? Number one, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, make a decision to ask him into your life. Is that clear? If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to start. Because he loves you. He loves you so much that he, he, he doesn't want to leave you where you are. Not knowing him. Not being uh, sure of your eternity with God. He does not want you to go to hell. He wants you to be with him in heaven. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to empower your life with his spirit. He wants you to know the fellowship of being with his people. He, there's a lot. Forgive your sin. Transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So how do you do that? You pray. You ask him into your life after having asked him to forgive you your sins. And he will come in. Amen? It means you have started. Everybody starts there. That's ground zero for all this. That's number one. Number two. If you already have Christ, then here's the thing. Make a decision whether it will be hot or cold. But I encourage you to be hot. So that Jesus knows, ah, this one I will work with. This one I will show myself to him completely. I will manifest myself in his life. John 14 verse 21 and verse 23. We saw that in the, in the earlier uh, episodes. So, the same way you receive Jesus Christ, continue with him in all your, the areas of your life. Don't change anything. The same way you received him. How did you receive him? You heard the word and you acted on it. Continue the same way. Don't complicate things. Amen? Don't complicate things. In the book of Colossians chapter 2. Let's turn there. The book of Colossians chapter 2. From verse 6. The Bible says, so then, just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. How are you going to continue to live in, in Christ Jesus? The same way you received him. It's by faith. Amen? That's why the Bible says that they just live by faith. 
And faith comes from the word of God, from hearing the word of God. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. There's no other way. What does the word of God say? The word of God says pray at all times. What do you need to begin doing? Pray at all times. It's that simple. If the word of God says flee from immorality, what do you need to begin to do? Flee from immorality. If the word of God says you shall not put no vile thing before your eyes, then you will not put any vile thing before your eyes. Which means there are some things you will not watch or read. Hallelujah. Everything goes back to the word of God because he is our guide. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet. That's what the Bible says. Let your life be full of light. The light of God's word. So, Verse 7, the Bible says, um, let's go back to verse 6. So when, so then, just as you received Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and the elementary spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, of the Godhead, that's where it dwells. It dwells in Christ, in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. That's Colossians 6, uh, 2 verse 6 to 10. So there can be and should only be one God in your life. There should only be one God in your family. There should only be God in one God in your marriage. There should only be one God in your church. The moment you hear anyone standing in this pulpit speaking of another God as the one to be worshipped, then you know things have gone south. There's only one God. The Lord God of Israel. And we know him through Jesus Christ. So, learn to study and to apply scripture in your life. That's the key. This may sound basic, but you'll be amazed how much depends on this, how much hangs on this. Learn to study scripture and apply it in your life. Amen? Yesterday we were being taught the importance of having a quiet time with God every day. You learn it, you go home, you evaluate how you've been doing and you think of what you need to change for you to start doing what the word of God says. You get together with brothers and sisters at your caring heart fellowship and, and what you discuss there is something you should apply in your life and make your life, make the changes that your life needs to have. That's the only way. Amen? And when you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that the Lord is faithful, that the Lord is merciful, that the Lord gives you wisdom, that the Lord gives you, he fights your battles for, for, for you. You find it a worth, worthwhile decision that you made a decision to say, I'll remain hot for Christ. Hallelujah. There should be only one God in your life and that Jesus Christ. Because when you make that decision, God is committed to you fully, knowing that you are his. But this 50-50%, it's not going to work 
I'll come 50%, God will come 50%. It will not work. God wants 100% knowledge. In verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1, the Bible says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. Because of the price he paid through his blood, we belong to him. And that is why when you come to the issue of Holy Communion, it is something that is for only those who are in Christ. Amen? It is only for those who are in Christ. Because you commemorate something you began and you are waiting for his return for you to dine with him again. But the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful. So powerful, in fact, that a lot of things, maybe even I dare say, all of your life hangs on that sacrifice that he made. So as we have Holy Communion this morning, I want you to be resolute. If things have not been well and you need to make a decision for Christ, you do it then. I've told you how to do it. You make a decision for Christ. If you have you are someone who have been walking with Christ, but things have been lukewarm, I encourage you to make a decision and tell Jesus and say, Jesus, from now on, I make a decision to be hot for you. There should be no doubt whatsoever as to who is God in my life. So I'm making that decision now. You make that decision and you begin to apply yourself to learn and apply scripture, God will show up and fulfill his word in your life. Amen? Those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Never. Never. So I'm encouraging you. If there are things happening in your marriage, if there are things happening in your, in your family, I want you to just say, Lord, I don't know where this is going to go, but for me, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He saw something about God for him to make a public declaration and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. No two ways about it. Are you a Christian? I don't know. I think I'm Pentecostal. I'm not sure. Just tell them. Yes, I am. It looks like you belong to Jesus. Yes, I do. Can I help you? Amen. Let's stop being apologetic that we belong to Jesus Christ. What we have, the world needs badly. People need the gospel badly. Amen.